You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. It's, uh, it looks a little different since the last time I've been here. Um, but uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes change can give you a new perspective, and my new perspective is I seem to be looking down on a lot more people this morning because I can actually see over you. When I was down here, I'm too short. I couldn't do that. So it's great to see more faces. Um, so two weeks ago, we were in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, and then last week, you guys, you took a break from that, and Matt shared his life story and his testimony. But this week, we're going to be picking back up, back up in 1 Thessalonians 3. So if you turn with that passage, uh, turn to that passage with me. Um, We'll go ahead and take a look at that this morning. And this passage, while you're turning there, this passage isn't set up in a way that many of Paul's writings uh, are usually set up. It's not loaded with direct teaching points or uh, theological depths, but it's an excellent passage for observation. And from those observations, we can draw a lot of rich and practical truths to apply to our lives. So um, that's what I'd like to take away this morning is just some simple observations that we can apply to our lives as it applies to, to ministry. Um, I don't intend to keep you here very long today, and I'm just hoping that, uh, that it can be a blessing for you. Um, and the other thing about observing and applying uh, what we've seen in, in Paul's life is uh, we can follow his instruction to imitate me as I imitate God. So let's read this morning, if you're ready, 1 Thessalonians 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, so that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now, that Timothy has come back to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly, and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the truth that we can learn from it, Father. I just ask that you'd open up our hearts so that we can see what you'd have us to see, Father, and that we may be able to apply what you'd have us to apply. We just ask this in your name. Amen. So today, as we walk through the chapter, I'm just going to be making some comments and uh, drawing some things out along the way. But as we do this, I want you to think about this from Paul's perspective. Um, and that is the perspective of a minister and his sense of duty 
uh, and his burden for those that he ministers to. We'll see that he has this immense burden for them and their spiritual well-being and his desire to help them along. This is an excellent picture of a discipleship mindset. And so I want to learn from the apostles' actions in this passage and hopefully be able to apply that, them to, to my life and hopefully you're able to apply them to yours. But if we back up just a little bit uh, at the end of chapter 2, it's kind of an unfortunate chapter split between 2 and 3. Um, but if we back up a little bit, we see that Paul really, really wants to go see the Thessalonian church. But he couldn't due to the very same persecution that had driven him away from them in the first place. And I just want to be clear, at, at some point this, you know, today, I'm probably going to say the Ephesian church or the Corinthian church. I don't know why. But every time as I was studying and as I was typing up notes, I kept finding myself typing in Ephesian church instead of Thessalonian church. So if I do that, please forgive me. I ask for your grace. Um, I will be intending to, to say the Thessalonian church. But we know that this persecution that drove Paul away from them we know that Paul was no stranger to persecution. Um, he was a, uh, I like to call it a prolific proclaimer of the gospel. He was very well known, and he was, he was uh, probably, you know, maybe the most notorious uh, of the apostles, if I can use, describe him that way. Um, he was a marked man, and his tremendous ability to present the message of the gospel you combine that with how quickly and deftly he's able to see arguments coming, and he's able to circumvent the arguments, he's able to uh, diffuse the arguments uh, that are brought against him and against the message of, of the gospel, uh, both from Gentiles, but often more so from the Jews. Um, so he's able to proclaim the message, he's able to defend it, and then take on top of that you know, he was a Pharisee. He was one of these hunters of the early church before he was converted. And, you know, anytime you have somebody that's in that kind of position who switches sides, you know that old side's going to be gunning for them extra hard. So Paul is a marked man, no stranger to persecution. Um, and that really raises his profile. So if he wanted to go somewhere and preach the gospel, there's likely people that are watching for him ready to bring the persecution, ready to, to chase him out of town. Uh, they're not going to sit idly by. Yet we know that Paul was not moved by those trials. He was not moved by the persecution. And it was only by God's mercy that his life wasn't taken up to this point. Uh, in Corinthians 4, 9 through 13, he describes some of this. And I want you to just really listen to how he's describing his life. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. That's pretty hardcore when you think of the life that Paul lived. 
in the pursuit of proclaiming the gospel. So he's no stranger to enduring persecution. And he, just, he, he very clearly in 2 Timothy 2.10 states the reason that he's willing to endure these trials, this persecution. He says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And here is the heart of Paul's drive, the heart of his burden. <clears throat> Excuse me. He does it for the sake of God's people, for the elect. He does it that they may be able to find freedom in Christ, that they have that future hope that Paul has as well. <clears throat> and this burden for his brothers and sisters in Christ is not just for their physical well-being, but more importantly, it's for steadfastness in their faith. Um, and this really causes a desire for him to see them because he's got this strong burden. How are they doing? Are they still faithful? And Paul, he said he could endure all things for the sake of the gospel. But in this passage, we see the one thing he could not endure was not knowing how the Thessalonian church was, if their faith had endured. It wasn't a physical torment, but that emotional torment of wanting to know, are they okay? Have they remained faithful? It was a crushing burden on him. And this is why Paul ends up sending Timothy in his place so that Timothy could minister to them and encourage them to remain faithful despite their persecution and their afflictions. And uh, this relationship between Paul and the Thessalonian church is one of brothers and sisters in Christ. But beyond that, it's a relationship of a teacher and his disciples. And Paul, he's brought them the good news of the gospel. He has walked with them. He's shared life with them. He's seen the Spirit move, drawing these people out of darkness. It was a very wicked area, drawing these people out of darkness and depravity and into a relationship with Christ. And it's, it's a very close and personal relationship. Think of the, the many hours that Paul must have spent, uh, perhaps in hidden areas or uh, under the cover of darkness, teaching them all that he knew, encouraging them, um, warning them of the afflictions that are going to come and just trying to bring them up in their, in their young faith. Excuse me. He warned them of the trials that they would face. And we see that in verses 3 and 4 where he says, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that you were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. The Christian life is not promised to be free from turmoil. It's not promised to be free from afflictions or persecution. I know in, in our you know, place today, persecution, physical persecution, that's not something that's really on our radar. And we're able to read some of these stories in Scripture and we don't really truly connect to the full extent with it that I think we could. Because in our minds, we always protect ourselves from maybe the, the harder details of physical persecution. But if you read some of the descriptions and really take the time to let your mind go there, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm glad that we don't have to face that. But I also know that there are other types of persecutions that are, le that are more subtle. And sometimes 
those can actually be the ones that easier drag us away from our faith and cause us to falter. So, he had warned them of the affliction that's coming. He prepared them for it. You know, even Jesus promised that all, his, uh, all of his people would experience affliction in this world. So if you're told that the Christian life, you know, accept Christ and everything's going to go easy for you, you're going to have a full bank account, perfect health, and everything else, that's a lie. Christ himself said that's not what we're going to be experiencing yet. doesn't mean that there's not joyful times in the Christian life. There's wonderful joyful times. But we have to be prepared for the affliction. And so, with this burden to know how they are doing through the persecution, that's where we get in verse 5, where he says, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. He didn't send to learn if they were safe. He didn't send to learn if they were experiencing wealth. He didn't send to check if they're checking all the right doctrinal boxes. That wasn't his concern. He sent to learn if their faith had held. And this is Paul's consuming burden for these people. It's his consuming burden for his brothers and sisters in Christ that they remain true to their faith through all circumstances. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you this morning, do we have that kind of a burden for the faith of fellow believers? Do we have that kind of burden for those that we go to work with? Do we have that kind of burden for those that are in our families? Like, whoever it may be, do we have that burden? A burden that is so great that we are willing to endure hardship for the sake of others. A burden so strong that not knowing somebody's status in the faith causes us a weight and a burden that we cannot endure. Now we're at kind of a transition point in the chapter. We've seen this great weight that Paul has on him, this wanting to know. And now we're about to see the response. But for a moment, I want to just sit in a state of suspense. I thought of all kinds of analogies, and I couldn't find any that were perfect. So bear with me on this. But you know that today, technology allows us to so easily communicate with anyone around the world, pretty much. We may know somebody that lives on the other side of the world, or perhaps a missionary that's in a remote area. Um, Let's say they're traveling. We know that they're not in in a very safe environment or anything like that. Or if we just want to know what's up. It's pretty easy. We can probably make a phone call. Probably have a satellite phone. Or we can type out a quick email or text message. Something of that nature. And even from the most remote environments, you can assume that you're not going to have to wait too long to hear back. Maybe a couple days at most. That's not the case in this situation. He can't just quick pull up Facebook and send a message or do a post, hey, praying for you, you know, people in Thessalonica, keep your faith strong. It's not how it works. Um, 
Somebody has to physically go there, physically report back, and that takes time. But imagine if somebody that you love was going to be spending quite a bit of time away from you. Um, And you know that the environment, or perhaps even the journey to get there, is not safe. Uh, It's doable, but it's not safe. Until you hear back from them, you're going to be on edge. You're going to be burdened. You're going to have a weight. Um, I know even for myself, uh, I I was remembering to, uh, I don't know, was it a year or so ago when my wife and daughter uh, flew down to South Carolina uh, to be down there for about a week with her sister. Uh, When they were in that plane and they were flying down and I couldn't contact them, I had a weight on myself. I had a burden. Um, Not only for their safety, but more or less for my wife's sanity because it was the first time that my young daughter had flown and I had no clue how that was going to go. But I had to wait. And when, when I found out that they're landed, they're fine, it took that away from me. Um, but this is where Paul is right now. He's anxious. He wants to hear back. But then the word finally comes back. And Paul goes from anxious wondering to a joyful response. And we see that in verses 6 and 7. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. What a joy to finally hear back. They are strong in their faith and love. This, all this worry, it's, it, it wasn't necessary. They've remained true. This news is so powerful that despite the afflictions Paul is facing, this news of a strong faith, it served as a comfort that was even stronger than the persecution, even stronger than the afflictions. To the extent that Paul said, with this knowledge, now we live. Now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Does your burden For brothers and sisters weigh so heavily upon you that at the news of their faith that you can genuinely say, because of this news, I am now truly alive. I'm excited. No longer longer afraid. And I just want to remind you, this does not just apply to brothers and sisters at Mercy Hill. It doesn't just apply to those that are immediately around you. Think back to maybe other churches that you've called home in the past. Um, and maybe work, school, wherever it may be. Does your burden for faithfulness go beyond just your immediate little boundary? Does it go to, to people that you've lost touch with? Are you being diligent in prayer? Are you concerned for their faith? Um, as I was studying, I became very convicted about a specific person that I know who is not walking in step with the Lord. Um, Satan has tremendously bound him up with lies. And when I found this out about a month ago, uh, I was consumed with just this oppressive sadness, this oppressive darkness. And I I couldn't even think straight. I was at work at the time. And I was going out to make a delivery somewhere out in Berlin and um, I just couldn't think straight and I stopped for a few minutes out at the hub, the office building 
And I just told Connor, I was like, can you just pray with me? I don't know what to do with this. And we did, and it was, it was wonderful. But that, that burden on me for him, even with that, I have not reached out to him. Um, and I justified not reaching out because I said, he knows where I stand. What good will it do if I reach out and just tell him things that he already knows? It'll just probably make him more angry. But that was a terrible excuse by me. And just as I've been studying this, I've been so convicted. How can I preach a message and say these things and yet I haven't reached out to this brother? And so I ask you to think of me this week because that's something that I need to do. That's a step of obedience I need to take. And it's not going to be easy. But we should feel a tremendous burden when we see people walking a path that they shouldn't. Paul goes on to show his joy in verse 9 where he says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. In other words, I don't even know how to begin to express to God my joy and my thankfulness for this news that I've received. And we see him again showing his sincere desire to serve them. In verse 10, he says, As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Not only is Paul continuing to pray unceasingly for them, but he is even further pressed into his desire to see them, to supply them with what is lacking in their faith, which seems odd because this is the very faith that had just encouraged him to celebrate. So why does he say to supply what is lacking in your faith? And I don't think that Paul is talking about their faith as in, do you believe or don't you believe? But I believe he's, he's talking about just being able to minister to them uh, the, the practical things of, of walking the Christian life. Um, practical knowledge and outworking of their relatively new faith. And I believe that's what he wants to supply to them here. And this is, this is the point that I really want to press in on with this whole message um, is it's an excellent reflection of a discipleship mindset. And at Mercy Hill, we're, we're very big on discipleship. And it's a practice that we try very hard to encourage and try to live out. It's also a practice that was very foreign to me until about the age of 30. Um, I didn't really understand what discipleship was. We, we sometimes will take terms We'll apply them to so many things that they kind of lose a meaning. Um, I say that I love cheeseburgers, which (laughs) I do thoroughly enjoy cheeseburgers. And there's a lot of heads that came up at the mention of cheeseburgers. So good for you guys. We say that we love cheeseburgers. But at the same time, I say I love my wife. Uh, You can't compare the two. But sometimes words lose meaning because we apply them broadly. And that was kind of what discipleship meant a lot of things to me. It might have been going to a conference for a day. I was doing discipleship. Might have been going to church. I'm doing discipleship. It's not what discipleship is. And about three years ago, I began doing uh, discipleship with Eric Miller. Uh, We just meet once a week, talk about life, study the scripture, talk about 
struggles in our lives and just openly share. Learn how to study Scripture. Learn how to apply Scripture. Eric was honest with me about his good days and his bad days and showed me how he applies Scripture, how he applies the Gospel to, to those things. And in that period of time where we were doing that once a week, I grew exponentially in my faith and in my understanding of the practical outworking of my, of, of my faith. Not, not that we're earning anything. It's not what I'm saying. But how to walk as a Christian. And it's something that uh, I was pretty aimless in before because I would read Scripture and I didn't have an understanding. I didn't have a grid. But him taking the time to really just teach me and allow me to observe was tremendously powerful. And this is what we see Paul wanting to go back, wanting to just live with them, wanting to just bring them what they're lacking, show them, here's some practical ways that you can do this. It's beautiful. And that's kind of what I want us to see in this passage is that burden, but also how did Paul do this? How did he disciple them? And I know that in this passage, Paul is speaking more of from a pastoral perspective. I'm just kind of breaking it down to fit another ministry need, maybe on a just a little bit of a different scale. Uh, so I just have a few questions for you. Do you have a burden for the faith of others? A real burden. Does it grieve you when you know that somebody is not right with God. If you do, look at your life and those that you influence. You may not officially be discipling somebody, but we are all influencing people. You have no choice in whether you influence people. You will. Uh, I should have looked up the statistics on this, but I believe... I'd seen this a couple months ago that the average person in their life influences at the least 10,000 people through primary and secondary impressions. And those relationships that you're influencing, are you more concerned with their physical well being or their spiritual well being? It's fine to be concerned with people's physical well-being. It's good. But what breaks your heart the most when somebody is in physical pain or if they're not walking right with God? This earth is temporary. We can endure pain. We can endure suffering. We cannot endure the wrath that is to come. And so we should have that burden for all of those in our lives. If you don't have this burden, ask yourself why not. If you've been rescued, you should be concerned for those who aren't. And I would like for you to imagine for a moment that you and a group of friends go on a hiking trip. And you're hiking up a mountain, you bit off a bit more than you can chew, and you get stuck on a ledge, right? It's snowy, it's windy, there's no chance for survival, you're going to die. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this helicopter hovers over top of you. A basket comes down. You get up in the helicopter. You're the first one up there, and you're like, okay, guys, great, I'm safe. Let's leave the others. Let's go back to base. 
I'm okay, that's all that matters. No, that's not the response. When you have been saved out of certain doom, out of certain death, your response is not just, okay, I'm good. Your response is, we do everything that we can to get the others out of that same situation. But our rescue from sin and death is far more is far greater and far, far more dramatic than a mountainside rescue. Um, therefore, our concern for the spiritual well-being should be also far greater than that. And next thing I want to look at here is if you have that burden, then you are called to minister to people in some way in your life. And so I just want to look at this chapter. What did we see about Paul's ministry? How did he practically work it out? What did he do? And what can we take from it so that we might also be able to minister to others? And this is not an exhaustive list, um, but it's what I thought was important in this chapter. Number one, put forth the effort. Paul spoke about their work and the concern that it would be in vain. Uh, excuse me. His concern that the work would be in vain at the end of chapter 2 when he says that they are like a crown before Christ. He's not talking about a kingly crown, but the word that's actually used there is the picture of a, a, a wreath crown that was given to athletes after an Olympic event. Um, and these are crowns, these trophies. I guess is what we had now, or medals is what we'd have nowadays. But they would receive these wreath crowns and they would offer them before their emperor as tribute, casting their crowns before him. This is a wreath crown. This is what he's talking about. So it's the res result of something earned. Um, but to receive that crown, you must train, you must run, you must put in the effort. It's not a sideline job. You must be in the race Despite trials and difficulties that may come up, you must put forth the effort to be there for those that you're attempting to minister to. Put forth that effort. Number two is be present. Paul had a strong desire to be present among them, to share in their lives, and even when he couldn't, he sent Timothy to stand in. And we can't just do this remotely. We can't just uh, send out a text occasionally and say, hey, how are you doing? cool, great, well, I've ministered to you. No, that's not, that's not what it is. It's great to send people a text and see how they're doing. But this is real, one-on-one, -on -one, time spent together, taking time to understand what is going on in somebody's life, what they're dealing with, and then ministering to them with the gospel from that. Number three, be truthful in your teaching. Um we can see a lot of people that are preaching just the good things of the gospel, trying just to draw people into their church. And they don't actually give them the hard news. But it's clear here that not only did Paul bring them the gospel, but he was also clear with them up front about the sacrifices that would come along. And we must be willing to teach, yes, the glorious things of the gospel, but at the same time, we also must be very intentional 
with preparing those that we're discipling for the hard times, for the persecution, for being cast out, for being ostracized, whatever it may be, for being laughed at when you stand firm in an area where others are willing to bend. We must prepare them for that, otherwise their faith may be shaken when they're blindsided by it. So be truthful in your teaching. Number four, be diligent in prayer. Paul says that he prays for the Thessalonians night and day. Prayer matters. So why does Netflix or the game on the TV seem to matter more often when we measure in time? And I know that's a big problem for myself. We must be active in prayer. Prayer, diligent prayer for a brother or sister in Christ is the greatest thing that we can do on behalf of them. Number five, celebrate their faith. When faith is evident and growth is happening, celebrate it, rejoice in it. Uh, don't, don't just say like, okay, cool, you know, we're, we're good. Be excited. You can see Paul is excited to the point where he's like, now I'm alive. Celebrate growth. Celebrate those benchmarks in a person's life. And not for your own praise, but for the praise of God. So Nate, you can come on up. Um, told you guys I'd keep you here for just a little bit of time today. The other thing that really kind of struck me through this passage is if someone were to wonder about your faith or my faith, would the report that they receive back bring, cause them to rejoice or turn them to despair? Not that your faith must be perfect, but when you face hard times, is your faith strengthened or is it shaken? If your faith is growing strong, great. But if you see that your faith is shaken, if you see that there's areas that you need to grow in, are you trying to deal with that on your own or have you sought out the advice of somebody that's more seasoned in the faith? And I would encourage you, if you find yourself in a place in life where you need somebody to walk beside you, ask about discipleship. It's... It's wonderful and it's for all ages. If your faith is strong and growing, use what God has given you. It might require making some sacrifices. But if you have an opportunity to be an influence, to disciple somebody, whether it's in a formal setting or whether it's more informal, don't hesitate. Um, use what God has given you. Walk with those people. And even if you don't do it perfectly, your imperfections can serve as teaching tools because they can see how you apply the gospel to those pains and situations in your life. And uh, just for closing prayer, I would like to just pray uh, I believe it was the last two verses of this passage over all of you here today. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you.
And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen.